I'd like to start our session uh, today with a word of prayer. So if you'll bow up your heads, <clears throat> let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can commit our time to you. And we pray that you will help us to trust you in every circumstance that you place in our place. And we pray that we will understand that you do provide, protect, and do the impossible. And we pray that this time that we spend together will be profitable in each of our lives to bring glory to your name. For Jesus' sake, amen. I'm very glad you chose this very academic uh, course, Uh, and it will help you with your children to tell them really nice stories, Uh, and uh, I'm going to pretend that I'm a hand surgeon. I'm sitting down. I always wanted a hand case because then I could sit down and do it just the way the hand surgeons do in the United States. And when that didn't work, I could always pretend I was an ophthalmologist because uh, they sit down too, most of them. And uh, so let's get on uh, with the program. Um, If you look at this uh, picture carefully, you will see uh, here's another way to understand the disparity in physician workforce. This stylized map proportions each country by the total number of doctors living there. The map looks similar for all health professions. You'll notice that African nations barely appear on the map. So what problems are we addressing today in in our discussion? First of all, Not going when the call is clear. And I've had many times when I know God is telling me to do something, and uh, I definitely don't want to do it. And I make a list of ten different things that have to happen, all of which I know are impossible. And first thing I know, it all ten things have happened. They were all impossible, and uh, I end up going. Uh, not staying when the attacks of Satan are severe. Um, Usually by the end of uh, two years, if you're on a short term, you know very well that you're never going to go back to this terrible place that you've been. And uh, sometimes that starts even before you've been there six weeks. For me, my first six weeks in uh, Ethiopia was wonderful. I said, This can't be a real mission hospital. This has been absolutely wonderful. They told me it was going to be terrible. And uh, after six weeks, I agreed. Um, I was looking for ways. Uh, Maybe I needed an x-ray of my back. Maybe there'd be a cancer or something. And maybe I'd get out of this and I could do something else. Not trusting God when we are completely at the end of ourselves. And... Through the years, God has, uh, has been very faithful in um, answering prayers when we completely put our trust in him. Uh, in one situation, uh, I ended up at a hospital in West Africa that 
uh, was seeing up to 750 patients a day in the clinic from five different countries, and there were only two of us. The other doctor was a doctor that thought he was going to a leprosarium and made the mistake of stopping at our hospital overnight uh, before he went on to his leprosy hospital. And uh, he never did get to the leprosy hospital except when he took a week vacation. So, um, anyway, uh, the reason I'm saying this is because... um, The situation was so impossible, eight major operations normally a day, and all these patients in the clinic, and um, it was just absolutely plain impossible. And uh, God gave me an idea. I had a good friend whose uh, medical school examinations I graded, and I I was very impressed with them. Uh, My father was teaching in a medical school in China at the time. And I said, I think I'll write this, my friend, and see if he can, if he'd like to come to Niger. Anyway, he did, and he worked with me for four years. I thought I was on vacation when he came. Not resolving conflicts quickly and forgiving definitively. This is probably one of the biggest problems that comes up. Not recognizing that the attacks of Satan are real, persistent, and like a lion. Not letting the aggravations of daily work in a new culture build up anger and bitterness. And this, of course, is very common as well. Not remembering that only prayer makes Satan run, and even angels can be thwarted. So, what solutions can we offer? First of all, taking the time to pray, reflect, and rest. I remember when we were in Niger, West Africa, there was a change in customs officers. We had ordered one, years of, one year of medicine in a container from the Netherlands, and uh, the customs officer decided to hold it. We got a, I got a patient one afternoon in the clinic, he said he'd come from Senegal. That means he came on Ethiopian air, uh, flew for five hours, took a bus for 12, another 12 hours to get medicine from a surgeon for his blood pressure. And so I didn't tell him that that was a, a rather poor choice uh, to get a surgeon to, to uh, prescribe blood pressure medicine. Uh, but... I knew exactly where his blood pressure medicine was. It was in that container. We'd been praying for a whole week in order to get that medicine. And I told him that as soon as the custom uh, department of the country released that container, I could get that medicine for him uh, without any difficulty. He said, uh, I have a friend who's a friend of the president of the country. He lives in... Uh, Cairo, Egypt. I'll go out and uh, give him a call. The next day, there was a customs officer looking for a job, and our medicine was released. So it pays to pray. Take time to wait on God, because only Jesus Christ can defeat Satan. Remember that real secrets of blessing is brokenness before God. Only you can do the assignment that God gives you, and he will help you complete the mission he has given you.
So what questions do we want to answer? I heard somebody chuckle. <laughs> Can God really provide, protect, direct, and do the impossible? I'm going to try and convince you that that is true if you don't already believe it. Can God help me persevere when my friends all leave? What can I start doing now that will help me complete God's assignment? What one thing do I want you to walk away with? What mysteries do we hope to solve? The mystery of God's provision of funds for his work. If it's, if, if it's his work, he will definitely provide for it and in marvelous and miraculous ways. The mystery of God's provision of staff when you can't promise a good salary, benefits, schools, opera, great call schedules, and guaranteed weekends and nights off. Um, I gave um, 165 grand rounds uh, in the United States and in, and in China, and the usual question afterwards of the 8 to 12 students who would come up and uh, ask questions was, um, is it safe, number one? Number two was, what's the salary like? Number three is, what's the, what's the call like? I don't think I talked anybody into uh, <laughs> signing up. The mystery of arranged contact contacts, and continued miracle after miracle. I think uh, many of you may know number nine of Reverend Charles Stanley's 30 Life Principles, and this is what it is. Trusting God means looking beyond what we can see to what God sees. Um, we escaped four different invading armies. And so each one of those, of course, is a big, long story, at least 30 minutes long. And I'm not going to bore you with it, but uh, you can come up afterwards and I can tell you some of them. Um, we lost everything five times without a single garage sale. <laughs> I don't like garage sales. I don't like putting little tabs of paper on different items. And so this is a recommended way of emptying your garage if you want to. Narrowly escaped rabies, fell into a well, almost drowned. Diphtheria, uh, when I wanted to go on Chris, uh, Christmas vacation to see my parents in, from boarding school. A submarine chase across the Pacific Ocean. Um, barely escaped the concentration camp involvement um, where all my friends went. Uh, a mutiny at sea and three severe storms where our ship almost sank. And, of course, uh, if you read Paul's experiences, he said he was shipwrecked three different times. I wish that they had included the other two because it's sort of exciting to read about uh, a kind of a shipwreck. Uh, and we had pan-sinusitis for 23 years. It started when I went to college I forgot that my lifetime doctor was no longer with me. I didn't know 
that when you got sick, sometimes you went to a hospital or a clinic to get cured, and I tried to treat myself, and obviously unsuccessfully. But of course, when I was a missionary doctor in Africa, I kept praying, because I told God I could work very much better if I wasn't sick for every two weeks, um, sick for two weeks every six weeks. And um, for 23 years, he thought that I needed to understand that I can't do anything unless he gives me the strength to do it. That's, of course, why I'm sitting down now. So, um, I was giving a talk in Kenya, and um, afterwards, uh, a laryngeal specialist came up and said, you have trouble with your voice and your voice box. Um, I'm, I'm a specialist in the larynx, and I can help you. And uh, so when you come back to the United States, you just drop over. You can stay in our house. I'll do the operations on you. Um, and um, you'll be able, you'll be just like new. Well, the last operation, I woke up and I saw five mass doctors looking down at me. And I realized that that wasn't the greatest situation to be in. If there were five different people looking down. Anyway, um, I survived that, uh, but was unable to talk for several months. And that, of course, was good for a lot of people who were around me, <laughs> who didn't have to listen to my stories. Anyway, uh, one time, uh, my wife and I were to leave for our work in Africa, and my wife was unable to even walk up a half a flight of stairs, and I knew she'd never make it. So we prayed and prayed, and uh, uh, God answered our prayers. The next day, she could actually run up the stairs, and uh, I thought, there must be some special kind of medicine here that I've overlooked. Anyway, uh, the prayers, when God wants you to do something, uh, he makes it possible. Now, if I look a little bit tired, it's because I've just returned from an 18-day trip uh, to China, where my father was a, a missionary uh, surgeon. And uh, here he is uh, in the front row of one of five hospitals run by the China in the mission. And... Uh, it sort of was my dream uh, to someday go and see the work that my father had done, his first hospital, and uh, God made it happen in a very unusual way. On May 15th of this year, I received an email that was partly Chinese. I thought, um, I didn't know whether to open it or not, but I finally decided I would. It said, we want you to speak at a World Congress on a condition called Noma Cancrum Oris Reconstruction, which I did for nine years in uh, West Africa and wrote up in the Annals of Plastic Surgery in December of 1996. I thought, it's very unusual for anybody to ask somebody who's 83 years old by Chinese calculation, 
to give a talk on anything. And uh, I think the people here probably didn't know how old I was and so permitted me to take uh, space. Anyway, uh, we had a chance to go, and for the last 18 days, we've been running up hills and running upstairs and <clears throat> going here and there. Uh, in any case, um, we got to visit the hospital uh, that my father started in 1931, and it was a 100-bed hospital. Today, the hospital that we saw was a 1,000-bed municipal hospital, and uh, here they're presenting me uh, with a very special gift uh, for, uh, in, in memory of uh, what my father had done. Another picture of some of the pictures that we brought out, because they had three rooms dedicated to historical archives, and um, it was it was a, a very it was a very wonderful time. We had two lectures that they wanted. One was on ameloblast resection of ameloblastomas of the mandible uh, with replacement with a living uh, fifth rib uh, and reconstruction. Um, and the group that you see there is uh, the stomatology group of this thousand-bed hospital uh, with the leadership. And then the next was a lecture on tuberculosis of the spine, anterior spinal fusion, for those who are affected uh, with uh, neurological sequelae that doesn't get better with medicine or other treatments. And I finished up with a picture that you can see there with my father, my mother, and a budding surgeon uh, sitting on mother's lap, if you can see it carefully. Well, the hospital looks like this. It certainly didn't look like that when I left at the age of five. And the church was growing and was new. And they had just uh, gotten five seminary graduates uh, who were in different parts, uh, different uh, avenues of ministry in the church. And we had a chance to be with them for... Uh, over an hour and it was uh, wonderful to see it was a wonderful blessing now this is where my boarding school was located and it, I couldn't find any, anything that I recognized except the sand on the beach uh, but I walked along this entire uh, way uh, because a rabid dog had chased me one day as I was walking home. Uh, I knew he was rabid because a tall man came running by me and said, you better run for your life because there's a rabid dog coming. And because I listened to everything my parents uh, said in the evening, I knew that all the rabies vaccine had been used up and if I got bit, uh, there was going to be no hope for me. I would be going to my heavenly home instead of the home that I was trying to race to. Well, I also knew that you're not supposed to look back when you're running, and so I tried my best, but very frequently I just peeked just a little, little bit to see that the dog was getting closer and closer. At the end of this 
location, I had to go uphill and, uh, and then race towards the house. The dog was still catching up on me, even though I was running as fast as I could, and I'd long since uh, thrown uh, all my study books away. And I got inside the gate and turned around to see that the dog was down like this. I thought, oh, he's trying to play a trick. So I went inside, talked to mother. We got a big, long stick, and we poked at the dog, and sure enough, he was dead. Absolutely dead. Well, then we um, had a chance to give um, a lecture um, in, at a World Congress in Manchuria, a place called Dalian. And um, uh, this, the picture that's uh, shown there is a, is a lady in Niger who's, who... Uh, had no nose because it was it turned gangrenous when she was three years old, and um, she'd come in because she'd fallen out of a tree uh, when she was five and a half months pregnant. She was gathering firewood to do the evening meal, and uh, after her life was saved, we said uh, we'd be happy to make you a new nose. What kind of a nose do you want? You can have a nose that I recommend, like my African assistant. And, or you can take the nose of uh, my Australian nurse, uh, nurse anesthetist, and she chose the nurse anesthetist. And so you can see that the nose is a little bit sharp, just like, um, just like the nurses that uh, she chose. Well, we also got a chance to go to Shanghai, and the hospital where my father worked and where our mission was located was now the Shanghai Pediatric Hospital. And I, in 1985, when we went to 10 different medical centers for lectures with a team of 11, um, Shanghai wasn't on our list, but God put it on our list. And when they took me to give my surgical lecture, it turned out to be my parents' bedroom. And I couldn't, I could absolutely not believe it because Shanghai at the time only had 28 million people and there were plenty of choices for that surgical lecture. And the next day, uh, they had me doing a uh, demonstration operation in the same operating room that I that was above my bedroom. Um, and it was beyond, uh, beyond believable. So we stayed our last summer in China in what had become Mao Zedong's guest house. And so I absolutely had to take a picture of it because if you see the little, if you look at the attic and you see those two little windows up there, well, that's where, that's where we were because, of course, as teenagers, we weren't a very important part of the community. Our family grew up in Ethiopia, and uh, our son has worked now for 29 years in, in uh, northern Kenya with the Gabra people, and uh, he didn't remember our teaching on furloughs because uh, I don't know how many years it's been since he took a furlough, but I know it's, he's not following Hudson Taylor or anybody else that I know. 
it's been over 10 years. And, of course, our daughter is here with me. She struggled hard to keep up with me going up and down hills. And, of course, uh, she'll tell you that I was out of breath most of the time, uh, just like I am now. When we uh, were led to go back to Ethiopia uh, by our former predecessor, who was 89 years old and had only been a missionary doctor for 60 years, I suspected that he thought anything less than 60 years was a short term. Anyway, he was 89 years old when I went out. We had 15 different Ethiopians taking care of him around the clock. And uh, I realized that he uh, had the, uh, the constitution and the commitment where he was not going to give up uh, until he accomplished everything that he thought God wanted him to do. Anyway, at this particular time, God was leading us to start a new hospital. Well, at 67 years of age, I had, I had no desire to build another mission hospital. I didn't like building the first one uh, because there were, it took seven years, just like it took Solomon uh, seven years to, to build the temple. And uh, I went through five mission builders, all of whom escaped at various times without telling me that they were leaving. And uh, to solve the problem, I had gone to the capital city, and as I walked across the parking area of the mission, uh, a gentleman came up who I knew, who was a contractor from Egypt. He said, I am looking for a place where I can uh, build a mission hospital. I have all my materials about six hours south of where you're located in southern Ethiopia. And I have all the workers, I have all the equipment, and I'm just praying that I can find somebody who, will, who, who needs a, a mission hospital built. Well, I said, I think I can solve your problem. And uh, he, finished, he finished the work, and um, we signed a contract for a quarter of a million dollars, back when a quarter of a million dollars was a lot of money. And we didn't know, of course, where in the world that money was ever going to come from. We didn't think it was possible. When the walls got up to a certain level, uh, we were supposed to pay another figure of money when it got to the window, above the windows, another, and so forth. And we were praying all the time that he couldn't find the cement, that he couldn't find the, the cement block so that we'd have a little more time to get, get more money. And every time, uh, God brought it just at the right time. Well, when we were to, to uh, build this new hospital, I went to the, the director, president of this whole area of Ethiopia, asking for a property for the hospital. He said, of course I'm going to give you the property. You happened to deliver me 20, uh, 32 years ago, and you saved my life and the life of my mother, and so I'm very happy to be able to do something like this for you. I know that that was arranged by God. 
God gives us assignments like he gave to Jonah. Hope beyond our limitations, hope to believe the impossible, hope to envision new possibilities, faith to trust God's power, rest in God's goodness, radical assignments radically that make us radically dependent. The outcome, of course, is God's. God's dreams are frightening. Our responsibility and availability uh, uh, and obedience is important. We have to make time to hear, or we won't hear God speaking to us. We had the advantage of having over 1,200 churches praying uh, for us and for the start of the hospital. Of course, the whole Christian life is a life of faith. We're saved by faith. We are kept by faith. We, are, we walk by faith. We endure by faith. We rejoice by faith. We serve by faith. We love by faith, sacrifice by faith, pray by faith, worship by faith, obey by faith, and continue by faith. Faith is, of course, risking what is for what is yet to be. Holding on when you want to let go. Saying yes when you want to say no. Looking beyond what is and trusting for what will be. Faith believes what others do not believe. Faith sees what others do not see. Faith does what others do not do. Faith moves us to act, say no to sin and yes to right, and dares to dream beyond our means is an outrageous trust in God. Faith sees what is really there even though others see nothing at all and sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and receives the impossible. Faith, mighty faith, the promise sees and looks to God alone, laughs at impossibilities and cries, it shall be done. Two and a half years ago, God put us in touch miraculously with a lady in Switzerland. She made the, she made the mistake of asking me the question, um, how much do you need to finish the hospital that you have in Ethiopia? I said, we need three and a half million dollars. She said, that's like changing my back pocket for somebody in Switzerland. So I kept looking around to see if I could find anybody else who thought that way. But I haven't run across anybody like that. But in a recent trip to Switzerland just before we went to China, uh, this lady... Um, after her hotel sold, uh, decided she would start with uh, $200,000 for a recovery room, which we needed very badly. Even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, might this thing be? This is uh, from Second Kings chapter 2 through 8. You may find that in reading... Uh, this particular passage and the 16 miracles that it describes for Elijah and Elisha, you will get the encouragement that you need when you face hard times as, as a, a missionary. Uh, first of all, impossible obstructions. Uh, for Elijah and Elisha, the River Jordan. And for Elisha, uh, this, uh, for Elijah, the sky. Um, 
the chariot of heaven, you remember, came, fiery chariots came and took Elijah uh, up to heaven. Um, so, Elisha said, where is the God of Elijah? And sometimes we are tempted to say the same thing. In 2 Kings 2, 8, 11, and 14, um, there's that particular uh, sentence, where is the God of Elijah? We visited 128 offices in Ethiopia to obtain permission to open the hospital. The hospital was drawn up by the architects at the Ministry of Health. We thought that with that, we wouldn't have to go to any offices, and we just walked straight through. But this was obviously a year-and-a-half delay that we didn't want, but that God decided was best. Um, recently, we had a team uh, from our hospital uh, who felt that God was leading them to go down to a group of people called the Barana, who are just on the border of Ethiopia and just close to Kenya. And uh, they went with medicines and they went with um, a spiritual ministry. But when they got there, the guards stopped them. They said, we don't want you to come here. We don't want you. We don't want your God. We don't want uh, Jesus. And um, they kept talking to them. And... Uh, Finally, um, they, um, they were asked if there was something that they really, really wanted very badly. They said, it hasn't rained here for three years, and we are desperately in need of water. So we, we, would, we would like very much for it to rain. And uh, the team said... We will pray for rain. And they said, if it doesn't rain, we're going to kill you. Well, that might have changed, their, changed the texture of their prayers. Uh, it might have changed a few other things. Anyway, they decided to do that. Uh, unfortunately, they left their vehicle right where it was. It rained so hard that... Uh, the vehicle, was, it was impossible to remove the vehicle because it sank so deeply into the, into the mud. And, uh, and they didn't get killed. In fact, uh, according to the report that I read, there were 43 people who wanted to believe in Jesus. Now, if you look at this picture, you'll see all those buildings with red. Um, we've just been in the uh, Forbidden City. And, of course, uh, the red tile roofs are one of the properties of uh, uh, one of the characteristics of the Forbidden City. And uh, so uh, this is actually a welcoming hospital, the Soto Christian Hospital. And you can see that there are a lot of red roofs uh, located there. But there are also some stars these are buildings that yet need to be done. Uh, but each one of these buildings has been an answer to prayer, and God has greatly blessed.
Even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, might this thing be? Oh, what shall we do? Three armies without water for seven days. But for God, that was a very simple thing. So I get a letter while we were in Switzerland saying, we need 120000 for two operating rooms and a 20-bed ward for our orthopedic department, which is growing rapidly. And so what are the chances of someone in Switzerland being presented with this need and immediately driving to the bank to withdraw this money as a gift to the Lord for the hospital? And later on, um, we were asked by the government to build two more buildings uh, to keep the hospital open. Um, And God answered by sending us a promise of 160 thousand dollars even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven might this thing be Uh, Elisha was sent to a poor widow who had nothing except the flask of olive oil we of course are hoping that God sends us to a rich lady who has plenty of money who thinks that 3.5 million dollars is nothing but change in her back pocket Uh, But sometimes God works in a slightly different way. God answered our prayers for an anesthesiologist who I'd been praying for for four years. I was right here at this particular conference about five years ago uh, and had just come from a workshop and come to the booth. And that particular year, everybody had a lapel that gave their last name. I recognized the last name of this sophomore medical student, and I said to her, "Um, do you have a grandfather who was a missionary surgeon to Ethiopia from Norway? She said, yes. I said to her, you happen to be the answer to my prayers, because I heard your grandfather say he was so unhappy with his son Because he was only able to put people to sleep, he wasn't able to be a proper surgeon and cut out all the bad things and help people to live a normal life afterwards. And uh, I had remembered that. And uh, she pulled out her cell phone and called her dad. Hey, dad, guess what? And uh, a year later, he was out with us. He stayed with us for four years and now is actually leading the um, Norwegian Lutheran mission there. Uh, But he's been responsible for almost a million dollars every year he's been with the hospital. And uh, so God, God arranges things in very unusual ways. Um, When we felt sure that God wanted us to build this new hospital, Uh, We went to Switzerland, and the first person we talked to was a lady who always had wanted to be a missionary nurse. She had gone to a conference in Switzerland and fallen in love with uh, a Swiss farmer, and so her dream had never come true. But uh, she said when she talked to me, she said, God told me last night that I should give you this money for a new hospital. 
Well, that was before I knew I was supposed to build a new hospital. So I wasn't sure whether to take the money or not. The next day, we went to the, to the government. Uh, we went to um, the German-speaking magazine, Christian magazine, for Europe in Zurich. And uh, God gave a gift of $5,000 for the hospital. And right next door was bread for the world. They said, why don't you come out for lunch and we'll uh, talk a little bit. Their first statement was, we don't have any money. But bread for the world is supposed to have lots of money. So we were a little bit disappointed. But they said, we need to tell you about something that's just happened. There's a Swiss hospital being closed by the government. And they want to try and get rid of all the things that they have in the hospital. So maybe you should pay them a visit. So, of course, the next day we had an appointment. They wanted to get rid of everything in the hospital, and we were very anxious to help them. Uh, But we didn't have any money. Uh, So how could we move anything? Well, God told a Christian truck driver, and he came on Saturday with volunteers, and they took it to a place right near where the railroad uh, brings in uh, supplies, and we were able to fill fill up the first two 40-foot containers. So if you go and visit our hospital, which of course you must do, um, you will see that it's somewhat swift in many aspects. I went to a prayer meeting, and I'd worked for several weeks on a PowerPoint, and uh, so I was looking for quite a good group that would come to a prayer meeting, but only four people showed up. Well, uh, actually, um, I have friends who've gone to speak in churches in Switzerland, and nobody showed up, so I thought, well, I better be happy with four. Anyway, They have a custom, they give you a white envelope that's supposed to have something inside of it at the end of your talk. And uh, I opened it, and I saw that there was a check for $100,000, and that it had been made out, obviously, long before the talk was heard. So it had nothing to do with my wonderful speech (laughs) that I'd worked so hard on. God had obviously told them that uh, they were supposed to give $100,000. Then later on, I looked at my email. I saw this wonderful email that said, uh, we want to give $150,000 to the hospital. Well, I didn't recognize the name. I looked to see if it came from Nigeria or something like that. I finally decided that I was going to open it anyway. And I said, I want to give $50,000 first. If it goes through, fine, then I'll give the other 100. In 48 hours, we had 150,000 for the hospital. Now, the, this beautiful uh, truck that you see there, um, he heard about this person who'd had a presentation and had given 150. And um, he said, I want a presentation too. Well, that made us a little bit afraid because we. We thought, well, maybe, you know, we'll make a mistake on this and it won't work out. Anyway, he gave 200000 
Even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven, might this thing be? Impossible visibility. Alas, my Lord, what shall we do? The Lord opened his eyes and he saw the hillside filled with horses and chariots of fire. While we were wondering how we could start a mission hospital, God was closing an almost new hospital in Switzerland. Impossible timing. At that very moment, as Gehazi was telling the stories of Elisha, the Shunammite lady, and, the, res- uh, and resurrected, the resurrected son walked in. God directed me to an orthopedic conference in Washington State, where an orthopedic surgeon afterwards said he felt God was calling him to Ethiopia and wondered if I could give him any information. That particular surgeon is the orthopedic surgeon that's been at our hospital now for just over nine years. I was praying for a surgeon because I heard that the surgeon that we had um, didn't feel that he could stay on any longer. And I heard from our daughter that the surgeon I was praying for was already at the hospital and making an arrangement with the the doctor that he was replacing to take over his house and take over his truck. So God was answering my prayers almost before I got them out of my mouth. Uh, We have three of our staff uh, children who graduated from medical school and um, one other uh, previous staff member has another uh, child that graduated this past year from medical school and another one that he thinks is even better than the other two who will be graduating in about five years. Anyway, if you look at this particular picture on the left side is a young lady who made the top grade of all the medical students in Ethiopia and she is working at our hospital and is a wonderful addition to our staff. And right next to her is our hospital administrator. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can, uh, than we can, uh, than we might ask or think or imagine. Troubles are constant and persistent, and I'm going to just list list these very carefully because I've obviously been talking too long already, and I can see that my time for questions is shorter and shorter and shorter. But if you think you're having lots of trouble, read 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians 11, and then you'll start feeling like, oh my goodness, I don't think I have anything to complain about. Uh, Is anything too hard for the Lord? We were in China in 1985. We were at the last location. And we had a flutist, Chinese flutist, come to our our room. We were a team of 11 giving lectures. And uh, he said, we need Bibles. They were all burned. And uh, we said, oh, but we're... We're leaving China, and we've used up all of our Bibles, so we, we don't have any. Well, 
we got down on our knees and we prayed, thinking, well, this is the most impossible thing that could ever happen. There's no way that God could get Bibles. We don't have any balloons. We don't have any barges. We don't have any, uh, any trucks. Um, we got up from praying and we went to our evening meal. And one of the members of our team saw a friend in the lobby, went over to talk to him. The person said, I have a terrible problem. I was trying to deliver uh, Bibles in Beijing, and nobody showed up. I waited and waited and waited. It was 10.31. I was supposed to deliver them. And what am I going to do? I'm leaving China tomorrow. Well, the poor fellow came on his bicycle, and he had a hard time with all the Bibles that God gave him. Has he ever left a promise unfulfilled? I had a patient uh, in Liberia who'd been beaten very badly by members of his family, and he was unconscious for two weeks. One uh, Sunday morning when I was making rounds, he had awakened, and he told me that in the night he had seen an angel. He described the angel as having feathers and went into great detail. He also said that uh, the angel had told him he should be asked the doctor to pray for him that he would see again because since he had awakened, he was completely blind and um, the examination revealed no particular thing that we could identify. So, um, we finally decided we were going to pray for him. Obviously, if an angel talked to him, <laughs> he was uh, 11 years old and, uh, of course, uh, he had never seen an angel before. Anyway, we prayed that he would um, get his sight back and that he would become a believer. After church, I came back and made rounds, and sure enough, he had perfect vision, and he'd put his trust and faith in Christ. Is the Lord's hand shortened that it cannot save, or is ear heavy that it cannot hear? Um, I had a patient here in the United States. Her name was Barbara. She'd been admitted three times uh, by March of the year that I saw, was asked to see her. Um, and each time she had been admitted to die. She had multiple sclerosis. She had been unable to walk for eight years. She had been all to all the different medical centers um, for complete evaluation. She had a tracheotomy. Um, she had to uh, catheterize herself. She was in a very bad situation. I just received a message that I needed to go to Bangladesh to cover uh, the surgery for um, the surgeon at my brother's hospital in Bangladesh. And so I said, well, I'm going to pray for you, Barbara, and I'll have others pray for you. And if God wants you to get better, then he'll make you better. Well... The first message I got when I got to Bangladesh was that Barbara was completely well and waiting for me to get back uh, 
to take care of all the different holes that she had in her body that she didn't want anymore. And uh, the other thing that happened was she had decided to become a surgical assistant. And so she helped me in my second operation that I did at, at the hospital where I was working. Can God spread a table in the desert? Uh, there are many times that the, the doctor who is like a one, one doctor at a one doctor mission hospital, which they don't uh, believe in anymore for good reason, um, you have a feeling that God has put you in an impossible situation. I've been by myself for seven months. That means every day, every night, every weekend. And when I had my devotions, I said to God, there's no way I can do this anymore. I am absolutely, completely, 100%, 101% exhausted. And um, I know it's impossible, but I need a surgeon not tomorrow, not the next day, not next week, but today. And uh, because I can't, I can't do it anymore. Well, I went to the hospital that day. I had a very large goiter which had extended down into the right chest. And um, I was at a difficult phase in the operation when there was a knock on the door. And the door opened slightly and I saw my wife. I knew that it was something unusual because my wife never comes to visit me in the operating room. I don't think she wants to see the beautiful surgery that I do. <laughs> she doesn't want to see any blood and probably a few other things. Anyway, behind her, I saw somebody who was smiling. And I said to myself, that's the answer to my prayers. It was a doctor who had grown up in Harbin, Manchuria, Russian community, and had taken medical school in Shanghai while I was taking, uh, when I was uh, in high school in Shanghai. He had escaped from Mao Zedong's China and gone to Australia. There he was meeting a friend at the Sydney airport. When the stewardesses came walking off, he recognized one of them had been a classmate of his up in Harbin in Manchuria. And she brought him, married him in the United States. He took his complete surgical training and became a uh, coronary bypass surgeon. So not only was I getting a surgeon, I was getting a bypass coronary artery surgeon. So my prayer was more than answered. Um, and... I gave him a very detailed description of all the things that he needed to remember uh, in the next couple hours. I gave, we gave him our house and we disappeared for a month. And uh, God gave us complete uh, and lasting uh, endurance. And God blessed us greatly. Now, uh, of course, I only have five more minutes left. And... So if you have some questions, I'll be, if they're real easy questions, I'll be happy to answer them. But um, uh, maybe you've thought of some, and uh, I was trying to let you have more time to talk, but uh, go ahead and, and uh, 
Make it as difficult for me as you can. Yes. When you pray for your patients, or you pray for the help, how long did you pray with the, at a time? Uh, the question is, how long uh, did I pray for a patient if they asked me to pray or if I prayed with them? Actually, um, I, I didn't pray long prayers uh, with the patients because... Uh, actually, all the situations I was in were very busy, very busy hospitals, and uh, I would pray short prayers, and I would refer them to uh, our spiritual team to do the rest of the prayers. Another question? Yes. That's a, a very uh, interesting question. Um, if I told you that uh, half of our staff uh, left recently and uh, God answered our prayers by sending another five out, that might give you the answer to your question. Satan is very busy. He works day and night. And he he attacks in every way possible. He makes us think that uh, we don't really need to be where we, where we are, even though each one of us who gets an assignment from God, uh, there's no other person that can do that particular job that God wants done except ourselves. And uh, yes, the problems are continuous and they require prayer, both here at home and uh, overseas. And we have to learn to be long-suffering with our friends and need to realize that uh, we are as irritating to them as they are to us and try and forgive them completely just like Jesus has forgiven us. Any other questions? I thank you very much for uh, being li- listening so well.